So I just want to give a real simple Christmas sermon this morning that a Savior has been born. Amen? Amen. And so I'm going to read the rest of the Christmas story. We've looked at uh, both Matthew's chapter 1 and chapters 2 already. But I want to look at the rest of the Christmas story, which was really reenacted out for us this morning. And that comes from Luke chapter 2. So I'm just going to read this story And then we'll dig into a little bit of what it means for us today. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen? Now, we see in this story that the birth of the Christ child, the birth of the Messiah, the long-awaited deliverer, took place not in Jerusalem, took place not in Rome, took place not in a a great city in the ancient world, but rather in a little tiny town called Bethlehem. In fact, 
archaeologists who study that time period in Israel tell us that the town of Bethlehem at that time was anywhere from just 200 to 400 people. Really pretty small. In fact, that's why even during the time of Micah, he calls the town little. It was little in his day, and many hundred years later, it was little in Mary and Joseph's day. Anyone who lived in Bethlehem would have known everyone else who lived there. But though Bethlehem was little, it still had a great history in Scripture. In fact, one of the books of the Old Testament, the setting of that book, is entirely devoted to the little town of Bethlehem. It's the book of Ruth. And we know that Ruth's great-grandson would be the greatest king that Israel ever had. Anyone know his name? His name was David. That's why Luke says, calls it the city of David. And so when the Jews first heard the Christmas story told from people like Matthew or Luke or even the shepherds who were going out and telling everybody what they had seen, they would have immediately thought about the city of David. They would have thought about King David. Could there possibly be something more important happening in this little town of Bethlehem than the birth of Israel's greatest king, David? Well, of course we know there could be. For this little baby, too, was born as a king of the lineage of David. In fact, you read Matthew chapter 1, and the whole point of Jesus' genealogy is that he's not just the son of Abraham, but he's the son of David. He's the great, 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 great grandson of David, right? The Christmas story is about the birth of the greatest king that has ever lived. And the reason why he's the greatest king that has ever lived is because he's a king that still lives. And he's alive forevermore. And he rules and reigns the nations even today, even right now. Lo, he is with us always. He's with us here. He's the great shepherd over his people. He's the great shepherd over Mission City Church. So we welcome you, King Jesus, in this place. We thank you for being the king of kings over this place. We thank you for being the good shepherd over our souls. You know, Luke begins the story by talking about another king. In fact, the most powerful man in the world at that time, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. And this king gave a decree that every single person in the Roman world was to be registered. So, Mary and Joseph head to Bethlehem. And while there, the time for Mary to give birth came. And because the town was so tiny and had surged in population because of the census, there was no room for Jesus to be born in any house or inn, and he didn't even have a chance to have a normal bed like other babies did. Rather, they would have to be outside. They would have to be near the animals. And the only bed for the baby Jesus would be a manger, which was simply an animal feeding trough. They would wrap him up in some cloths and lay him down in a bed of hay. Well, as they were doing that, what was happening in the nearby fields? God was delivering a message from heaven 
about exactly who that baby being laid in the manger was, who had just been cut from Mary's umbilical cord. And this is what the centerpiece of the angelic message is. Not just the angel who was speaking to the shepherds, but the, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, probably thousands of God's messengers from the highest heaven that came to the fields of Bethlehem and were singing the glories of the king that had just been born. And what did the angel say to them? Well, the centerpiece of the message is this, that a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah. You know, more than anything else, God wanted the shepherds to know that the little baby born in the manger was a savior, not just for all people, but he wanted to personalize it. It is a savior that has been born for you. He is a a savior for all people. No matter who you think about in your mind right now, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in the little town of Bethlehem to be their savior. So this is why we sing. This is why we rejoice with the multitude of the angelic host. Because a Savior has been born. I think of the second Christmas carol we sang this morning, O Holy Night. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining or waiting We were stuck in the mire and the mess of our sin, waiting and pining till he appeared. And the soul felt its worth that a Savior would be born for us, that God would demonstrate his love by becoming man and ultimately by going to the cross for our salvation. And that song reminds us that the salvation that Jesus brings is primarily a saving from our sins. And, uh, you know, that is what we're supposed to think of when we think about Jesus. We're supposed to think of the Savior of our sins. And that's what His name is all about, that He is the one who saves us from our sins. This is what the angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke 131. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. We just read in Luke 2, 21, let me read it again. And when he was eight days completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. But an angel didn't just tell Mary that his name would be called Jesus. An angel also appeared to Joseph and told him that he needs to be called Jesus. This is a very important detail in the Christmas story. Matthew 1.21, the angel says to Joseph, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You know, Jesus or in Hebrew, Yeshua, simply means Yahweh's salvation, right? In fact, when we uh, look at that name 
Yeshua, or some uh, would have probably pronounced it Yeshu, however it would have been pronounced, we say Jesus, they would have primarily actually thought of Joshua, for Joshua's name was Yeshua, or the first Joshua back in the time of Moses, who led the people into the promised land, he was Yahashua. A thousand years later, when Israel went into exile in Babylon, all of the Yahashua's were just simply, they dropped that H and they were named Yeshua. That's why we meet the first high priest after the Babylonian exile. Um, his name was Yeshua or Joshua. So when the Jews hear that the Savior that is to be born is to be named Yeshua or Yahweh's salvation, God's salvation, they would have thought of the two Joshua's in Scripture. They would have thought of the man who led God's people into the promised land, and they would have thought of the great high priest after the exile who would deal every year on the Day of Atonement for all of their sins. And that's what God's salvation is all about. It's about being our great high priest. Aren't you glad Jesus is our great high priest? And he has forgiven all of our sins. And he is also our commander. He is also our leader who goes before us and leads us into the promised land. He is our forerunner. He is in heaven right now preparing a place for you and me so that we can enter into that promised land one day and experience eternity with him. So every time we say the name Jesus, every time we say Yeshua or even Joshua, what, whatever, however we say the name that is given to Jesus, what needs to be on our mind and what needs to be on our heart is that this is God's salvation for you and me. And uh, I love uh, what 1 Timothy 1 says. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a saying you can bank on. This is a saying you can count on. This is a saying you never need to doubt that Jesus didn't come to save good people. Jesus came to save bad people. Jesus didn't just come to save bad people. Je Jesus came to save the baddest of people. Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save me. This is the joy of Christmas. Jesus himself says this in John 3, 17, speaking to one of the greatest religious leaders in Jerusalem, Nicodemus. He tells him this, For God did not send his Son, he's speaking of himself, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus regularly in his ministry says, the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. When one of the sheep strays from Him, He, he leaves the 99 and He goes and finds that sheep. That is what Jesus is like. 
you know, we're told that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. Archaeologists tell us that the mangers, most of the mangers in that time, were not made of wood, but they were made of stone, and then hay would be put into the stone. And so here we see a little baby wrapped in cloths like a mummy, you could think of it, and laid in a stone slab manger. What does that look like? Well, the only other time we see that happen is with Lazarus and with Jesus. Lazarus is wrapped in strips of cloths, and he's put in a, a, a tomb, right, a stone tomb, and Jesus is wrapped in cloths, and he's put in a stone tomb. This shows us that the sign, when the angels say, this will be a sign to you, he will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, the sign is that Jesus' ultimate assignment would end in death, and that that is how he would be a savior for us. That his victory would be when he stretched his arms out on the cross, on Good Friday, on that Passover, and he died as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So what is Christmas about? It's about personalizing that message that a Savior has been born for me. That just as Christ indwelled Mary, so Christ can indwell me. You know, when the apostles preached the good news after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, this is what they say to the people in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But Jesus, Yahweh's salvation, God's salvation, He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm eternal life, right? Ananias tells Saul of Tarsus, after Saul is blinded by the glorious light of Jesus, he tells him this, Acts 22, verse 16 says, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now that would have sounded very familiar to Paul because Jesus had just told him on the road to Damascus just days earlier that he had been called by God to preach to the Gentiles that they might receive the forgiveness of of their sins. Do you know that forgiveness has already been provided for everyone everywhere? Forgiveness has been provided for you. The only thing that you need to do is receive it. The only thing you need to do is make an act of faith, call on the name of the Lord, say, I, Lord Jesus, confess you as your Lord and as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for providing forgiveness for all of my sins. I ask that you would cleanse me of all my unrighteousness, that you would send your spirit to come into my heart. Jesus says that when we make that confession and when we receive of the forgiveness of sins, that we go from darkness to light. 
that we go from the power of Satan to the power of God, that we're made new people, that what he provided for us 2,000 years ago becomes real in us, that we become dear children of God. So maybe there's someone here, maybe there's someone watching, and you've never made that confession before. You've never said, Jesus, I need you. I just want everyone just to bow your head, and let's just make that confession together. If you can repeat after me, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. You are my salvation. Thank you for dying for all of my sins. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to reside and live in me. Thank you for preparing a place for me that I can live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.